listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. Well, toward the end of uh, Billy Graham's life, he expressed some regrets. Now, if you know who Billy Graham is, that probably uh, perks your ears up a little bit. Because if that guy had regrets, then maybe we're all in trouble. But his, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, he, I think, was one of the finest Christian ministers of the last century. God used him in, in really glorious ways to lead thousands and thousands of people to saving faith in Christ. He, uh, uh, got, he in, in my seminary years, was getting to participate in his last re- do it over these are things that he would supposed to understand the word or just read the words for ourselves we're actually supposed to read the word understand it for ourselves live it out for ourselves so that we can then go preach it to others we, we looked last week at the story of the ethiopian eunuch in in acts chapter 8 and that's a great story of, of a man reading the scriptures but, but god sent philip to him and philip asked this great question of him do you understand what you're reading? And he didn't. He needed someone to preach the word to him. He needed someone to explain and apply the word to him. As a result, the Ethiopian is converted. It, it's a great, great example of what preaching the word is supposed to look like. Next week, we're going we're gonna to see that Jesus healed. But this week, we're looking at Jesus uh, making disciples. Therefore, today, uh, we're on this topic of discipleship. And, and I want to ask four key questions of us today. Number one, making disciples. Let, let me read uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse While walking by the Sea of Galilee, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting in the of men, verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Zebedee and John is nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Again, this first question is, is, do you know Jesus? Jesus calls a relatively diverse group of individuals, very ordinary people, these ordinary guys to follow him. And we can deduce some things about them, okay? First off, you know, we see that uh, Peter and Andrew were brothers, James and John were brothers. I think we can deduce that the four guys themselves probably knew each other. They were in the same industry, kind of in the same area, so they most likely knew each other. Uh, they, were, they were fishermen. So there's a sense of, you know, fishermen today are not that different from fishermen back then, okay? So, so there was a bit of a grit about these guys. Like these were hardworking men. Some have said these were just kind of tough, blue-collar guys. I think that's pretty accurate. For a season in college, a short season, because I wasn't very good at it. And for a season in college, I framed houses. And I always had in the back of my mind, you know, the early disciples were a bunch of framers is what they were, okay? They were these tough guys who were willing to work hard. There was a grit about them. Okay, they, we know that they, they weren't extremely wealthy men, but they had enough uh, to own a boat. And so they had this family business that they had. And so there's this sense, again, that they were these uh, uh, tough guys. They were uh, smart. They were managing a business. Uh, th- there's also a sense that they were very pious men. This guy walks up and says, follow me. And they were ready for that. So these were pious, spiritual men. 
This is another sermon for another day, but, but I think the Gospels, uh, as they progress, we really see the diversity of these guys. There's a diversity of personalities, there's a diversity of giftedness. Not all disciples look the same. But Jesus' command here to this first group of disciples is follow me. And there's kind of two parts to that, right? There's two terms, follow and there's also me. So to be a disciple is that you follow but, but specifically, you're to follow Jesus. The, the me there is very important. In other words, disciples know Jesus. And to maybe get a little more specific, disciples know him theologically and they know him personally. They know him uh, for who he is theologically, but they also know him in this very intimate way. They walk with him. They know him personally. And, and again, in order to be a disciple, we need to follow him. But this means that we need to know him uh, for who he is. And we need to actually experience, uh, experientially know him. It might sound weird to say that we need to know him theologically. But that's really important to this process. What I mean is, is if we don't have the right theology about who Jesus is, then we're not going to be able to have the right relationship with him. Does that make sense? Yes. Listen, a, a good example of this is from Matthew 16. Uh, we read in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Listen, that's a great example of Peter understanding him or knowing him correctly theologically. And if we're off on that, then everything else is going to be off. In Jesus' day, most of them understood him to be just a prophet. They didn't understand him to be the Christ. And this is uh, they reveal that right here. These 12 disciples understood him correctly theologically. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Most other people, the majority of people just saw him only as a prophet. Let me stop here and ask, can this happen today? You better believe it can, right? Like if you ask the average person on the street, who is Jesus? It's typically in this prophet category. Well, well he's a good person. He was a good teacher. He was a teacher of spiritual things. Yeah, yeah but he said he was the son of God and you can only get to God through him. He claimed to be Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. So he's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord, right? But that's where most people are. Most people are like, he's just a prophet. Now, here's what they're doing there. It's safer if Jesus is just a prophet, isn't it? Like, if he's just a prophet, he's got some good ideas. I can pick and choose what I want, and I can go live my life on my merry way however I want to. But if he's the Christ, that's a different thing. That's a different level of submission and commitment. Listen, it was the same thing in Jesus' day. It's the same thing in our day. And so the question is, do you believe that He is your Savior? If you don't believe you're, He's your Savior, everything else that I say doesn't matter today. That's the most important question here. Who do you believe that He is? If not, then you're unable to know Him personally. But for some, checking maybe the right doctrinal and theoretical uh, boxes is easier for them than letting it get personal. You know, for some of us, we can look at this and we can do the work in our minds of understanding who Jesus is. We can uh, check all the right theological boxes and then we can just kind of leave it there in the theory. 
but we, we cannot let it then spill over into our practical lives. That's the other danger here. You know, all of us can overemphasize one over the other. So, so discipleship is, is listen, you, you've got to understand accurately who he is, but you can't just leave it there. If that's true, you then have to apply it to all areas of your life. There's some great images in, in the Bible of what we're supposed to, to do with speculation and how we move it to application as it relates to our relationship with God. Going back to the Garden of Eden, what, what did they do with God in the Garden of Eden? They walked with him, right? That's a great picture of what it means to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you have an accurate theological understanding of who He is, that enables you then to walk with Him. Just day in, day out, you're with Him. All those experiences that you have, all those ordinary moments are supposed to be done with Him. Well, that's the beginning of the Bible. If you fast forward to the end and you look at the new heavens and the new earth, what's the great word on our relationship with God there? It's not that we walk with Him, it's that He dwells with us. That's where we're going. It's those people who, again, know Him rightly, have the right understanding of Him. Our glorious future is that we get to dwell with Him. We're going to have this intimate relationship with Him. And listen, the disciples in Jesus' day, they lived with Him. They ate with Him. They talked with Him. They sang with Him. They were together with Him. They dwelled with Him. That's a picture of our glorious future. Uh, when we pass away and spend eternity with God, we're dwelling with Him. So all this means is the disciples know Jesus. They know Him in all these different ways. They believe the right truths about Him. And and further, the purpose of those doctrines is, is for them to have a spiritual life where they know and walk with Him. Both of those things were happening. Jesus uh, 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 disciples have this alive spiritual life where they walk with Jesus and they dwell with Jesus. Well, before we move on, uh, I, I think it's important to kind of just have an important note here. The disciples did not know where they were going. Let's sink in for a minute. Follow me. Okay? But where were they going? They had no idea. They didn't know where they were going. And listen, I, I think there's a great lesson there for disciples today. When He calls us, we don't always know where we're going. But the important thing here is, is that we know who we're going with. Amen? You see, for disciples, the where really doesn't matter as long as we're with Jesus. Again, you know him. Let me ask this second question. Are you following him? This practice of a, of a rabbi kind of gathering students to follow him, this was, was common, okay? This happens. This wasn't this radical out-of-the-box thing for these fishermen. And in fact, you see this, for example, in in the life of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist had disciples with him, right? He had these these men that followed him. Now, there's a couple of distinctions here with Jesus. Number one, typically what happened is, is those disciples, like in John the Baptist's case, they would have come to John and asked to follow him. But it's different here. Jesus calls them to follow him, okay? Now, let me take calling a little bit further. Remember remember, uh, Lazarus and when he died... And he stood out at the, at the deal and Jesus called him. Was Jesus really asking him? I mean, sometimes when we call somebody to do something, we're asking him. This is a little bit different. When Jesus calls you, it's really a demand, right? Disciples, when they're called, they answer. This reminds us of the, the sheep and the shepherd, right? We know his voice. That's what's going on here. And that's the distinction here is that this shepherd, this rabbi, when he calls his disciples, they follow him. Following Jesus is about being his companion. 
The, the disciples were Jesus' companions on his travels. They were physically with him in all sorts of situations. They, they didn't compartmentalize their, their life into these different categories. So, so they were with him in all these different scenarios. So they saw him when he was sleepy. They saw him when he was funny. They saw him when he prayed. They, they were with him when he was teaching or when he was hungry or with, when he was sad. They, they were his companion in all these different scenarios. They didn't compartmentalize their life. Jesus didn't compartmentalize his life. He opened it all up to him. Today, disciples seek to walk with Jesus in all areas of their lives. And this means that following Jesus is about being with him and going in the direction that he's going. What Jesus is about, we're supposed to be about. So we're to embrace his doctrinal convictions. So if Jesus had this doctrinal convictions, we're not supposed to pick and choose. Well, I don't really think that's important, but I'll follow this. If Jesus had this doctrinal conviction, we're to have this doctrinal conviction. If Jesus displayed a certain character, we're to emulate that character. In short, disciples are supposed to be like Jesus. We're to, we're to follow his examples. Today, uh, disciples uh, strive to be like Jesus. Therefore, being like Jesus means uh, that we have a complete transformation. Amen. So, so listen, disciples were not nominal Christians. When that box came, they didn't, they didn't check none. Okay. They identified with him. They, had, they, they signed up for it. They were committed to him. They, they, they let all of it completely transform their lives. They didn't have this casual association with him. Uh, David Platt says this about disciples. That, that they understood that he is worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. Disciples are all in. They're all in. The disciples don't lower the bar so, so that they can uh, commit to the bare minimum. Listen, this is happening all over Christianity today in the suburbs and all across the country. We're trying to lower the bar. We're trying to tear things down. This doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. I'm going to lower it. This is what matters. And what's going on there is we're lowering the bar so that we can get under at the bare minimum. That's not what the disciples did. They saw him in all his glory and they tried to live up to that. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to be completely transformed by him. Today, disciples do the faithful work of letting the gospel transform everything. And this leads to a third question. Maybe this is kind of a, a sub question of this second one. But the third question on your outline is what have you left to follow Jesus? Look again at verses 20 and 22. In, in, in verse 20, he calls these first two disciples, Peter and Andrew. And it says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And then skip down to 22 and you see James and John. A similar thing happens. It says, immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So being Jesus' disciple meant that they had this sudden and complete change of lifestyle. To get more specific, they left two very important and very good things to follow him. They left their family and they left their work. You see it? Matthew 4 is about to get in your business in a dirty way, okay? So just buckle up, and I'm going to give a huge asterisk here. I don't have anybody in particular in mind, okay, for what I'm about to say, all right? So don't send an email, don't whatever. But Matthew 4 is is about to, to throw a couple of grenades in our midst here. You see, I, I meet a lot of Christians who move for work, but rarely meet a Christian who moved for mission. Are you with me? I also meet a lot of Christians who don't have their kids in church because it conflicts with good, 
with good extracurricular activities. I also see Christians who aren't serving in the church because they don't have time due to the fact that all their time is with something good, their families. I told you, I don't have anybody in particular in mind. Okay, I'm going to compliment you in a minute. But, but, but that's a reality that we can struggle with. That's something that we have to face here with these two grenades from Matthew 4. You see, they, they left their work and they left their family to follow Jesus. Would the Bible say work is good or bad? I think the Bible is clear work is good. Would the Bible say family is good or bad? The Bible would say the family is good. However, what we see here is, is we do need to slow down and ponder this for a moment. These guys left their boat and their father. So I ask this question, what have you left to follow Jesus? Now, in their case, they left a couple of good things. Sometimes we need to leave some bad things, though, right? Have you left a sinful lifestyle? I always kind of identify with the, the prodigal son in that. Because when I was in college, I, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And, and God just did a great work in my life and just really highlighted some things, broke my heart on some things. And so listen, for, for some of us, uh, we might have some dark sins that we need to leave behind. Some things that just continue to plague us. And listen, I, I think one of the challenges in 2021 is the world tells us that a lot of things that uh, throughout the history of the world have been shameful, the world is saying, no, those things are actually good. So we live in a day where the, the world tells us, listen, if it feels good, then it's right and you should do it. But Jesus says, no, disciples take up their, their cross, they deny themselves, and they follow me. So, so there's something really different going on here to what Jesus is saying the discipleship looks like and what the world says to live. And for some of us, that means that we need to walk away from some really dark sins. But you might be sitting here, and maybe your struggle is not something scandalous in the eyes of the world, or maybe even scandalous in the eyes of Christian, but you still have a dark, hard heart in some areas of your heart. So there might be some things that, that you need to leave behind today. God is calling you to repent and, and return as well as believe something new. Friends, Jesus is better. When we're there, we're to believe Jesus is better. And, and let me maybe get a little more specific. Jesus is better than meth. Jesus is better than pornography. Jesus is better than sorcery. Jesus is better than bitterness. Jesus is better than pride. Jesus is better than a lot of money. Amen? Amen. Do you, have an, do you need to leave some sinful things behind? But that's really not the focus here. Again, we're talking about boats and fathers, okay? Have, have you left something good behind like a job? Listen, for, for some of us, your, your work might be too consuming. Or, or maybe you're finding too much of your identity in your work, right? Be, see, being a disciple might mean that you need to restructure or, or re think how you relate to your profession. And listen, for a lot of us in, in this generation, we've had parents, specifically fathers, that that was their struggle. They found too much of their identity in work. They worked too long of hours and, and never helped out with their kids. And so if you're there, this might be calling you, listen, you need to, to rethink how you're viewing work. However, I think there's also a reality that for some people that maybe experienced that in their childhood, for some of them, they kind of knee-jerk to another extreme. To where, listen, they, they don't embrace a real creation mandate in their life. That they're not really uh, uh, pouring in the appropriate energy that they should in their work. They view their, their work as this thing. That, listen, I just clock in, clock out in. You know, I kind of float through it. I don't really give my best. I don't really apply myself. I don't kind of look at this little area. Okay, I am 
you know, making double meat, double cheese, water burgers at water. I just betrayed what I, okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I get there. Sorry. It's embarrassing. Whatever your deal is, what do I do? Am I doing this? Well, am I expanding this? Am I making this better? That's the creation mandate. Some of us, in reaction maybe to what we experience as children, we've swung to the other end to where we don't have this right relationship with work, where we're just kind of floating through it. We're just clocking in and clocking out. However, the question here is if, are you willing to leave your boat to follow Jesus? Are you willing to move for Jesus? Are you willing to only move for your work? Let that settle in. Are are, are you willing to, and I'm not saying it's bad to move for your work. I'm just saying, are you also willing to move for mission? Are you willing to move for Jesus? Listen, if if you need to move for your work, are you taking the time to kind of think through, okay, we're going to this new town. I'm, you know, there's this thing called the internet and Google. And so I can kind of find all the churches there and I'm going to find the churches that believe what we believe that are doing things. Well, I'm going to plug in there. I'm going to, okay, I've got three churches here. As soon as we land that first Sunday, we're here. Is that your approach when you move? Do you think through how the mission of God affects something like that? Listen, do you need to reevaluate how you view your professional life? Well, I think there's one more question here about how they left their father, they left their family. Have you left something good? Are you hearing me emphasize good in this? Have you left something good like a family commitment? Denton County consistently rates as one of the best places in America to live. People from all over the country are coming to this county, to these towns uh, around us to live here. We have great schools here. We have just a great environment here. Things are growing. We have a good economy. This is a great place to live, especially if you have children. I mean, we have like good school, all sorts of good schools. If you want a good public school, if you want a good charter school, if you want a good Christian school, if you want a homeschool, if you want a homeschool co-op one day a week, if you want a homeschool co-op three days, there are options out coming out of our ears, right? Like when for our family, when we get past spring break, it's like this anxious time of, okay, we're still doing the same thing for school, right? Well, I don't know. Yeah. It's because we have this incredible options for school. Listen, because of those things, uh, uh, this is a great place to raise children. So when, when I meet new people who come to this area, that's always one of the first things I say, this is a great place to raise children. Now, what that means is, and I think that's to be celebrated. What that means is, is we can struggle with an idolatry of family. Men, let me say it this way. You you can be a good husband and you can be a good father, yet not be a faithful disciple. Ladies, you can be a good wife. You can be a good mother and not be a faithful disciple. Now, listen, I know there's limits to what I'm saying there, right? Like, like if you're faithfully following the Lord, that's going to be key to you being a good wife or a good husband. That's going to be key to you being a good parent. But listen, people can uh, make an idol of their family to the degree that they look back and like, yeah, I was a great dad, I was a great husband, and I did nothing for the Lord. That can happen in Denton County. Listen, while some couple, and and let me say this, I I know the tensions here, okay? My my wife and I live these tensions. And and for the record, I I don't, you know, I think we have to be careful idealizing something like this because I don't think you ever hit a thousand percent on this. Okay. I I think we're always swinging to some degree or something and and we're struggling and we're constantly evaluating this. So, so I get how difficult this is. However, some couples uh, never have a date night, for example, because they're so busy doing stuff at church. That can be a reality here. Also, you, you could be a couple that man, you have that date night weekend and week out 
But that becomes an excuse of why you never jump in a small group. You see the extremes that I'm getting at? Those are real tensions that we can live with. Related, some can attempt to shepherd, some can never attempt to shepherd their children. That can happen here. But others can be so structured in their home life that they never make room for serving those in need in their church or in, in their community. Listen, I, I know these are hard tensions, and, and, I, and I don't pretend to know how to do all that perfectly, okay? As a father and as a husband, I don't know how to balance all that perfectly. I, I, I'm just a prophet dropping grenades and I'm getting out, okay? I, I know, I know these, are, these are hard tensions, but these are tensions we're supposed to. Uh, these are tensions we're supposed to, to wrestle with. Let me say one more thing here before you write an email. I think there's some marvelous examples of people doing this well in our church. Like I did think of that as I went through here. There's some great examples of people trying to say, listen, I'm going to try to be a great husband and follow Jesus. I see some glorious examples of some ladies saying, listen, I'm going to live sacrificially as a mother. I'm going to love my children. I'm going to shepherd their hearts. I'm going to give it all. And we're going to follow Jesus. And all those things are intertwined. And I'm not going to separate those things out. There's some amazing examples of that here in our church. Okay, well, all that's a little too close to home. So let's move on. Friends, we're, being a disciple means that we need to know him and we need to follow him. We, we, we go with him. We, we walk with him. We dwell with him. We're his companion. We believe the right things about Him. And that leads to us having this intimate, personal relationship with Him. We also seek to become like Him. We don't compartmentalize our discipleship. Like, yeah, I'll be a disciple in this area of my life, but not over here. We let it transform everything. Disciples are completely changed by Jesus, even to the degree of leaving things behind. And not just bad things, like, like prioritizing things and say, listen, I love Jesus even more than the good gifts that he's given me. And so I'm willing to even leave those things behind and prioritize being a follower of Jesus above everything else in my life. Are you following Jesus and what have you left behind? But this leads to the fourth final question. Are you making disciples? Jesus calls these men to follow him. And being a disciple is certainly following Jesus. However, the end is not just a following of Jesus. The end here is to make more followers of Jesus, to go be fishers of men. Listen, he says that as a promise. That's what he promises them. If they follow him, then he'll make them fishers of men. But that's also the end result of discipleship. That's actually where Jesus is trying to take us, is to be fishers of men. This is a call to make more disciples. Christianity is not just about following Jesus. I know that sounds weird. But it's also about making more disciples. A better way to say it is to link those. It's about following him to the degree that you make disciples. Does that make sense? We're supposed to do both of those. Those things are are intertwined with each other. Fishing for more people means the disciples were active helpers. They weren't just to learn, but they were actually to take authority of the task. Uh, teachers, you're familiar with Bloom's taxonomy, right? So, so when you're uh, seeking to educate a child in your school, like there's this process that you're going to, you're actually trying to get them to the top of the hierarchy of Bloom's taxonomy. If you remember uh, what's at the bottom of it, it's just uh, like uh, remembering and understanding. And listen, that, that's a step towards learning. But listen, we're not trying to produce these little computers that just spit out the answers we want, right? Like, that's not the end of education. What's the end of Bloom's taxonomy? It's create. Remember? It's create. 
So what that means is, is that when teachers go about teaching their kids, they're teaching them facts. They want them to memorize them, but they want them to understand it and they want them to uh, apply it to their lives. They want to be able to, uh, to take the pieces together and apply it to their lives. But creation is actually more because when they, when they get out of your class and then when they get out into the world, they're, they're facing these new challenges and they need to take what they've learned to then create something new. It's discipleship in many ways, right? Like what Jesus was trying to do was, was to educate them in a way to where they created something new. He wanted them to create more disciples. He wanted them to be disciple makers. When you look at church history, this was lost for a season. And here's how it was lost. It was lost because the church said, you know, yeah, we're supposed to do that, but like the, the leaders do that, not everybody else. Like priests and pastors and these guys, that, that's who makes disciples. But, but that was a, a fundamental uh, misinterpretation of this passage. And, and it took the early uh, Baptists in England to look at this and say, wait a sec, this applies to all of us. We're all supposed to make disciples. Every, every disciple is to be a disciple maker. That's the best way to interpret this passage. Listen, th there's not a separate category of, yeah, I'm a believer, but I'm not a disciple. God doesn't, the, the Bible doesn't give you that freedom. If you're a believer, you've been called into discipleship. If you're a disciple, then you're supposed to make other disciples. We're all called to make disciples. Friends, are you making disciples? Now, I, I believe generally you should have people that you are pouring into as well as people who are pouring into you. Listen, at our church, our prayer is that the older men in this church would be grabbing some of the younger men and just sharing the wisdom from God's word that they've learned. We, we want those relationships. If all your relationships is people your, your own age, I think you're missing the real blessing of a church. We want the old guys pouring into the young guys. We want more seasoned ladies. We don't have any old ladies in here. More seasoned, wise ladies. We want you all to do the same thing. We want you pouring into these younger ladies. We want you sharing the things that God has taught you. We want you discipling and mentoring. Listen, do you have people uh, that are younger than you? Are people who are newer in the faith than you that you're pouring into? One of the biggest things that I ask uh, of, of Pastor Grant with our high school students is I tell them, listen, they need to be doing ministry. Once you get to high school, you need to be doing ministry. Our kids, Redeemer kids, they need to be memorizing Scripture. Middle school, they need to be having a devotional life. But our high schoolers, they need to be doing ministry. And part of that is, is looking, okay, are they investing in some of the relationships that are younger than them? It doesn't matter how you are wired or gifted. There are fish for you to catch. And being a disciple is all about following Jesus to the degree of making more disciples. This is how God has chosen to spread his kingdom. This is his plan. This is his redemptive plan to take ordinary people, rough fishermen, people like you and me, to then go spread the gospel and make more disciples. I think we struggle to follow Jesus to make disciples for a couple of reasons. First, I think we tend to follow our own ways or the ways of the world rather than Jesus. And number two, we struggle to understand what it means to be a disciple and thus how to make other disciples. Therefore, we end up not doing it. The, the, the problem with the first one, the problem of you know, uh, going our own ways, the ways of the world, that's really a heart problem, isn't it? Like, it? like if you think about the struggles where you've had in your life, it's really a question of what you love the most, right? Like, like it's an issue of, 
okay, am I going to believe that Jesus and his way are better? Or is there some other way that's better? So, so I think in, in, to this sense, or to this degree, that Matthew 4, it really is a heart check on all of us, isn't it? And listen, what's the greatest command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. It's to love him. So if you have a heart problem today, the good news is that you have a God who is in the business of changing hearts. Listen, if that's you today, and, and hear me, this is utterly convicting to me this week. That if you have a heart problem in this area, repent of it, understand it. But the really good news is, is that you have someone who can change your heart. Amen. You have someone that you can cry out to today for, you, for him to create in you a clean heart. Amen. Someone that can give you a new song to sing. That's, that's the role that he plays in your life. So if that's you today, pray to him that he would change your heart in a way that you would love him more than loving yourself or loving the world around you. Ask him to give you a desire to follow him. But, but the problem of not understanding discipleship, or maybe not understanding how to make disciples, that's really a head problem, isn't it? You see, if, if you don't know where to begin, then listen, I, I, I pray this message and this passage today has maybe given you some categories or a framework to think about, okay, this is what a disciple is. This is how I am supposed to go make more disciples. But let me encourage you with this too. If you're struggling with, I don't even know where to begin. Look around you and find someone who's a great disciple maker. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, literally approach them and say, tell me how to do this. This week in preparation for this sermon, I reached out to a friend who's, I think, one of the best disciple makers I've ever known. And listen, I wanted to pick his brain a little bit for the sermon, but I wanted to pick his brain for me, okay? You know, tell me how to be a better disciple maker. So as I thought of this, I thought, can we have a sermon application of call Jim Spoons? Is that, is that okay, you know, to do that? But what I'm saying is, is find somebody who's a good disciple maker and, and engage them, ask them those questions. Jim's number is 940-940. Friends, Jesus calls us to follow him because he knows there is nothing better than him. That's why he's calling you here. And listen, he knows your fleshly desires and he knows that they're a lie. He knows that they won't fulfill what they promise. Jesus knows the promises of the world. He knows what this age is selling us, and he knows it's futile. He knows it's a lie. He knows that it won't satisfy you. That's why he says, follow me. I have something better. I fulfill in ways that your flesh and the world around you will never fulfill. So he wants what is best for you. That's why he calls you to follow him. And hear me. He loves the world. He loves the people in this room. He loves the people in this city and in this county and all around us to the degree that he's calling each and every one of us to go and make disciples. That's his plan. That's his redemptive plan in this world. It is to convert and fill with his spirit these ordinary people and then they go out and preach the same gospel that they heard. They go out and, and create disciples in the way that they were created disciples. His redemptive plan is to use ordinary people like you and me to make followers of Jesus. My college pastor was a great disciple maker, and, and he had some great logic on this point. He said that uh, if we did everything else well, but didn't make disciples, then we failed. But then he took it the other direction. He said, listen, if we do, uh, if we do everything poorly, yet we make disciples, then we've succeeded. It's pretty good logic, isn't it? Like, listen, 
This is foundational to what we are. Brothers and sisters, Jesus made disciples by calling men to faithfully follow him to the degree of making other fishers of men. Therefore, do you know him? Are you following Jesus? What have you left to follow him? And are you making disciples? Brothers and sisters, follow Jesus to the degree of making disciples. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this passage and, and even the, the conviction, even personally on it. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that makes disciples. Listen, I, I pray that we would be good at all sorts of things. In this series, I pray that we would be good at preaching and healing, but also at making disciples. I, I pray that this wouldn't be just a side category of what we do. Lord, for some of us, we need to start following Jesus today. And Lord, if, if someone is there, if they're not close to Jesus, if, if they're not following him, I pray that today would be the day that they begin that. Lord, Lord as we uh, begin to sing, I, I pray that if someone's there, that they would feel the conviction to slip to the back and speak with one of our pastors and elders. Lord, some of us have been reading the Bibles for ourselves. We, we, we've been understanding it for ourselves. We, we've been pious people. We've been polite people. We've been righteous people and pure people. We've been following you, but we haven't been making disciples. Lord, I pray that we would feel the burden to find those people that are younger and newer and people that we can influence so that we can pour our lives into others. Lord, I pray that we would hear your word today. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.